Welcome to the Lex Buds and Pick and Roll podcast. I am one of your two co-hosts, Brandon. And with you as always is Tyler. Tyler, you are always with me and it's greatly appreciated. Uh, we want to thank you so much for downloading our podcast and subscribing. We've been overwhelmed with the response so far. Uh, as always, visit us at LexBuds.com, at LexBuds on Twitter. And we've got some exciting stuff coming up on this episode. We've got an interview with Aminu Timberlake, which is going to be very exciting. Looking forward to that. But there's also been some other news uh, around the world, I guess, and around the world of UK uh, that we need to touch on first. Yeah, absolutely. So big news this week, the University of Kentucky announces that they are going to be open for business in the fall. They are going to be having in-person classes. They're going to have kids back on campus. As, as far as I'm aware, they, they were kind of the first school to make this decision, weren't they? I mean, this, this is going to have a lot of domino effect going forward. Uh, for other schools in the state and throughout the country to make their decision. But UK announces they are opening for the fall classes. Brandon, what do you think about their call on this? <laughs> this, is, this is kind of a weird first take that I have, but I'm going to say it. My, my first thought is, one of my first classes as a freshman was UK 101. And they sat down and they talked to you about all these really uncomfortable topics about college life and being a freshman. And one of them was, hey, um, by the way, one in three people on campus have an STD. So I'm sitting there thinking, well, you are got a one in three chance of having an STD anyway. What's COVID going to be so bad, right? I mean, you might as well just throw that in there. It's the icing on the cake. I don't know. But, uh, you know, college life, it's, everybody's living in the same dorm. They're walking in the same hallways. They're doing all these things. And it's going to be a really interesting experiment. It's going to be like a large Petri dish, you know, of all these things going on. It's kind of disgusting talking about it like a Petri dish. But that's kind of what it is. It's an experiment. We don't really know what's going to happen in August. We're just going to have to see what happens. If it works out, then people are going to say, wow, I'm glad we opened classes. But if it doesn't, boy, oh boy, there'll be some ripple effects on the decision makers that decided to go forward. But the other reality is they need money. There's already been furloughed workers. They really expect um, that freshman tuition to come in. Um, you know, that, that fall semester is really important because you do have people that leave or transfer or go, or go to another school in the spring. That fall semester is really, really important for the school. So it's a roll of the dice, man. I don't really know. Yeah, I, th- I think initially when I saw the news, I was kind of, sh- I-, I was shocked, really. I-, I did not expect the decision to come that early. I knew, you know, it's it takes a lot of planning to obviously have a college ready for the next semester. I, I just was kind of thinking they would at least finish the spring semester out and maybe sometime in the next few weeks make a decision because nobody else, like we said, had really come out with anything. But then I also said, you know, they, they do have to make this choice. And if something changes, I mean, they can always go back and, you know, if things get worse, decide, okay, the situation has changed, we're, we've decided we're not going to reopen. But if you're planning to reopen, you kind of have to get the ball rolling now. So it, it really does kind of make sense that they would go ahead and start the process. And then if things do take a turn for the worse between now and August, they can always adjust accordingly. What do you think it's going to be like, though? So this is going to be interesting because flu season's coming every year, right? So they're going to be in this fall semester. Flu season's going to start around October. Everybody's going to start getting sick. People are going to start freaking out, you know, over probably a lot of people going into the clinics getting checked out because they're paranoid. There's just going to be a lot of of hype about COVID during flu season. There's so much unknown. 
I feel bad for the people that are going to be on the front lines for this because flu season is coming regardless. It comes every year. Winter is coming. Correct. <laughs> Winter is coming. So I don't know. I just I feel bad for the workers. It's going to be an interesting time for the students. And, you know, for the students, it's also a great way to say, hey, I can't make it to class, professor, for the exam that I forgot to study for <laughs> because I may have COVID. So I got to quarantine for a week. So just chill out. You know, I've got to do my thing here, and I'll be back uh, once I've studied for my exam. So great time to use, uh, you know, I'm sick excuse That's for class. That's a very, very good point. I'm sure a lot of kids absolutely will be doing that. I haven't even thought about that. I was thinking of it immediately. <laughs> wow, what a great time to be, you know, a freshman in college. This is great. Because there were times, I mean, I may have missed a class or two every now and then, and you show up and there's an exam, and you have a mini panic attack because you didn't know there was an exam. I've been there. I don't believe that for a minute, Brandon. You were always very studious and prompt to every class in college, so I, I think you're just telling fibs over here. Thank you. Uh, but, I mean, really, like you said, this ultimately comes down to money. UK furloughed around, what, 2,000 employees last week? Yes. So, if, if they don't start making plans, then you re really start getting into more layoffs, more issues with that. Well, this, but, goes, this goes back to the bigger U.S. economy. This is the whole give and take, the whole yin and yang of the whole conversation. We all agree that if you wanted to keep everybody 100% safe, you wrap them in plastic, keep them in their house, and nobody ever leaves again. But there's got to be a trade-off somewhere in there. And the, tra the trade-off is if we do that, it's not only going to sink the universities, it's going to sink the economy. So when we finally do come out of our homes... What do we wake up to? We wake up to a place where everything's underfunded, there's no programs to help the people that need it, and there's no jobs. So what's the trade-off there? And I think that's the game that they're playing right now is, you know, what's worse at this point? There's no way to save everybody, but, you know, what do you do? Yeah, uh, let, let me ask you this, Brandon. Let, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. All right, go ahead. Um, if you had, if one of your two sons were finishing high school this year and were about ready to go to college, would you send them to campus? Would you let them live in a dorm room surrounded by hundreds of other people, sitting in classrooms with sometimes hundreds of other people? We all know the germ factories that college dormitories are. At least mine was. I mean, you're sleeping on a mattress that's from 1972. Not, uh, not anymore. UK, they have Tempur-Pedic mattresses. They, that is true. It is a different It's life a foam now. bed that absorbs all the bacteria. Yes. Right? No, I, I don't know that to be true. <laughs> it soaks them in even more. Yeah, disclaimer. Yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about there. So, ahead. I mean, I feel like there are going to be a lot of families who are going to be really struggling with that decision to send their kids to school in the fall. You know, whether that also has an impact on enrollment for the fall as well and, and the money they're going to have coming in. But what what do you think? Would you have concern sending your child to, to a campus this fall? You know, it's a tough call because, I mean, it's the same decision when you ask people if they should go outside and go shopping. Um, you know, oh, it looks like the dog's arrived Oh, again. thank goodness. We hadn't heard the dog in a while. Yeah, we missed that. So we'll use that as background noise. For all you dog lovers, this is not a drop that we're putting in. This is actual dog noise. Uh, again, we're recording this in our studio at home. But, hey, it's part of the fun. So as far as, you know, what I send my kids, it's a tough call because some people are going out to stores right now. Some people are choosing to stay home. I think families have to make that individual decision and let the university know in a prompt amount of time so that they can properly budget ahead of time. I think it's an individual thing. For me, it's it's a tough call. I mean, 
I would have to just talk with my son. Now, my sons are, are young. They're in elementary school, so I'm not going to talk to them about it now. Yeah, we got a ways to go. we got a ways to go, but you just have to have that conversation as you go and make sure that they understand the risk and precautions that need to be taking place. But I would leave it up to each individual person. Yeah, and I think that's a good way to look at it. And A lot of families going to be making some tough decisions this summer with their kids. Another big piece of news coming out recently was Governor Bashir's announcement that masks are going to be requ- sorry almost said required not required but he has asked for citizens of the commonwealth when out in a public setting where social distancing isn't really possible he has asked people to wear masks in public so i have seen personally i assume you have because we have most of the same friends on social media i've seen a lot of people very very angry about this decision and frankly, I don't understand the outrage. Brandon, can you can you tell me, because I don't get it, why are people so upset about this? couple reasons. So number one, we've been cooped up for six weeks and we're ready to kill somebody, I feel <laughs> like. I think that's probably the driving factor, number one. Uh, the ladies' hair is growing out gray. The men's haircuts haven't been happening. People are not feeling good about themselves. They're sitting there staring at the same people 24 hours a day in their house. They're getting on each other's nerves. So if there's any kind of topic... It's going gonna, it's gonna to polarize somebody, and everybody's looking to, to get into a fight. So that's number one. Uh, number two, it just there's a couple of different factors. One, I think some things are starting to turn negatively in the governor's favor. I think it started with the church decision, and it and has gotten worse as this uh, quarantine has gone on. More businesses have been closed, and it's taken so long to reopen. So I think you're starting to see more people that were afraid to say something at first, negatively about the governor because everybody was on board at first now they feel that okay now i can do it because you know there's other people out there talking about it there's protests all over the country as it relates specifically to the mask i don't know it's a tough call some people will look at it as you know why are you requiring me to do something can the government require not, not requiring they're not required there, there will be no consequences for not wearing a mask other than maybe getting some dirty looks from everybody but you're, you're not being fined you're not going to jail He's just asking people to do it. So again, I, that to me, I don't get the outrage over it because of that. Well, he also um, didn't require people to not have church service and then two weeks later decided to do it because enough people weren't closing it and the state police show up. So it's one of those, okay, I'm not requiring it now, but if you guys don't get your act together, we'll do what we did to the church. So it's one of those kind of forecasting things. Okay, he said this before about this. People didn't do it. Now we have to require it. And he said that several times in his his press conferences. I'm not mandating this yet because we want everybody just to comply and do it. But if enough people don't, it may turn into a requirement. I don't know. Um, I think one of the interesting things was, you know, he said that businesses could just refuse service if you didn't have a mask. So that's saying, okay, we can't even serve you at the grocery store without a mask on. I think that's rubbing people the wrong way a little bit. Um, you know, encouraging businesses to do that. So that could be a little bit of the pushback, um, you know, with a mask bill. Yeah, I get it. At, at the same time, if you go into a business without a shirt on, you know, we see the no shirt, no shoes, no service signs everywhere. People don't seem to be as upset about that, but they're upset about being asked to wear a mask. To, to me, personally, I don't, I don't see the difference. But either way, I think it's safe to say the honeymoon is over for Governor Bashir. It was a good one, though. It was. It was quite the honeymoon. You know, we had the cakes, the donuts, the 
Andy at five. The t-shirts, everything was just Andy, Andy, Andy. There is a new bobblehead. Oh, I saw that. And it's, I'm assuming you pre-ordered ten. Uh, yeah, I, I may have told the wife that I wanted that for Father's Day. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay, <laughs> I don't even know you right now. Uh, you know, one of the other interesting things about the mask, and going back to that a little bit, there's a couple of things. One, the CDC and the World Health Organization said for weeks that masks are not going to help. Yes. Now all of a sudden everybody's got to wear one. And we don't have to wear them to the 11th because the you know the virus isn't going to come out of its uh, hiding place till the 10th. So we need to get there on the 11th. People are like, if it's such an emergency, why are we waiting up two more weeks if it's that big of a deal? And the other thing is you've had conflicting information from all these health organizations that we all follow. So you know, some people look at it and say, well, we were told these didn't help. This is just a power grab by by. Governor Bashir, he wants to enforce, you know, everything he can do to keep people safe, while some of it may be ridiculous to some people. Uh, I can jump on board with the mask thing because that has driven me absolutely crazy. The fact that just a month ago, maybe two months ago, we were told big bold announcements by the CDC: stop buying masks, stop yes. it. You're not helping. It does you no good. You're just taking them away from medical people that need them. Masks do not help. And now all of a sudden, we've done a complete 180 to where, okay, now everybody has to wear masks. To me, the fact that our government cannot even decide whether or not we need to wear a mask pretty much makes me realize if, if there is a much worse disease that comes through, we are screwed because we can't even figure out a simple solution as to whether or not people should wear a mask. It reminds me, Brandon, the, the scene in Armageddon if, if you've seen Armageddon, right? the, I, I have not. But continue. Yes, go ahead and spoil another movie for me, Tom. <laughs> the scene when Bruce Willis and his team get to NASA, and they're going through the plan of how they're going to save the planet from this asteroid, and Bruce Willis is like, "This is it. This is what NASA came up with. The U.S. government. This is your plans. Like, what's your contingency plan? Well, we don't have a contingency plan." And just the the shock that he was in that this was the best that. We have people sitting in rooms that this is their job all day, every day. They're studying diseases and ways to cure them, way to keep people from... This is what they do for a living. But yet, we still can't even decide a simple question, should people wear masks or not? That is infuriating and very frustrating to me. Go back and look at the timeline of this stuff. This, this is really interesting if you do a deep dive on it. Towards the end of January, the World Health Organization sent out a tweet that said there is no evidence for human-to-human, -human, um, basically, passing of the coronavirus. Dr. Fauci, who is the one at the press briefings with the president that everybody just adores right now, late January said, well, this is just an, an Asia-related problem. It'll be like SARS. You know, we shouldn't worry about it. In late February, February, this is like a month later, he said people should not change their normal daily lives, just wash your hands. Okay, so this is after they've had some data for a month. And we're still getting that. Now we're getting told to wear a mask. This has been going on for three or four months at least. We found out that the first death from COVID was really in February. Um, how far back does it really go? I feel like we're just coming up with stuff as we go, depending on what's happening. You know, wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. You can contract it. No, you can't. Uh, you know, you don't need a social distance yet. Hey, make sure you wear social distance. Stay in your house today. What the hell are we doing? Exactly. That's what I said. We are screwed. If, if a true... <laughs> Uh, you know, plague comes through. We, America has no chance. Just go ahead. It's been a good run, America. It's been a good few hundred years. <laughs> Sorry. 
Um, <laughs> but putting myself in the governor's shoes right now, I feel like Brandon he he can't win right now because he he had the protesters recently coming to the protests. Most of them, which you were there, most of them were wearing masks, weren't they? Um, a, half and half. Yeah, but, but a good amount for that time. This has been a couple weeks ago, so this is before any requirement or, or suggestion. Right, so we had people protesting while wearing masks, and now I would be willing to bet that most of those people who were at that protest are also the same people who are online saying how draconian this announcement from Governor Bashir is asking people to wear masks. So the people who are wearing masks are now complaining about Governor Bashir telling people to wear masks. Well, like, I feel like he can't win. Yeah, well, he's. It's now political. Yes, the, the political card has been played, and now everything is tainted. It's just the same at the federal level. There was a time where everybody was listening to Trump, CDC, Fauci, and then one day, the light switch went off, and it was like, okay, I'm going to attack you for this. I'm going to attack you for that. Same thing happened to Bashir, and you know, once one person feels like they can talk, then the next person wants to to get in that. And once you open up the door for more people to feel like they're comfortable voicing their opinion, it's going to get louder and more people are going to join the pack as far as that goes. But like you said, it was a hell of a honeymoon. I mean, longer than most people will ever get in their political career. So I, I, you got to at least give him that. It was. He, it was a good ride for him. Um, do, you, do you have masks, Brandon? Like, I don't even, I still don't know where to get masks. Like, when people talk about wearing masks, uh, the, my first reaction is, okay, I have I think I have a Friday the 13th Jason Voorhees mask in my basement that I wore for Halloween one year. But that's that's about the only mask I, I have. I don't even know how to get a mask. Personally, I would prefer you to walk around in that. If people weren't scared of the virus, <laughs> you'll certainly scare the hell out of them with a hockey mask on. I think, uh, I think so. That, that brings up a, a good question. Is that the most iconic mask from a movie, the Jason Voorhees hockey mask? Is there a better Hollywood mask than that one? A better Hollywood mask. I mean, the movie, The Mask. Yes. Jim Carrey. Jim, where Jim Carrey put on a mask and just became a more Jim Carrey version of Jim Carrey. Yep. I know that there was a movie in the 80s called Mask, I think, with Cher. Have you ever watched that? It's uh, a tearjerker. You don't want to watch it if you haven't. I, I'll, I'll put it on my Netflix queue, but I have not seen but it. But if you're talking mask, I mean, it comes down to two, well, actually three people. Uh, you got the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you got Halloween, and you got Friday the 13th. I think Friday the 13th's got to take it because it took something that is completely unscary and turned it into, you know, an iconic scare. It's it's it took a sporting good and turned it into something scary. That's What's true. another sporting good that's been turned into something scary? Hmm. No, it's not there. It's a good question. Yeah, these these are the kind of questions we're trying to dig to the heart of. These this is why you subscribe to this podcast. And that's why you're going to keep listening, hopefully, right? Oh, I got another good mask. Darth Vader. Think that's a better better mask than Jason? Oh, jeez. Okay. I think that's got to be 1 and 1A right there. Oh, man. That, see, it really depends on who you ask. If you go to Comic-Con and you, you, know, you go talk to a pack of those guys, they're going to say Star Wars. It's more iconic. I'll give you that. But when you're talking, I don't know. That's a tough call, man. Now you've put me in a spot. Now this is going to keep me up at night. I'm going to wake up at 3 in the morning and say, you know what, I've got it. And unfortunately, we won't be recording the podcast at that time, so the general public will never know. It's really sad. Yeah, but if, if you have an idea, what do you think is the most iconic mask? Give us a tweet, at LexBuds, and let us know. I'm sure we're leaving out some really good ones. And once again, Brandon, we've just gone completely off topic. That's we, good. We were having a very good, serious conversation on the 
pros and cons of masks for COVID and now... And then you just took it. You just took it and decided to swerve off the side of the road here and take us off, you know, off the side of the road. But that's okay. We actually may put up a Twitter poll to see, you know, what the most iconic masks are. So send us some suggestions. We'll put a Twitter poll out and see if your suggestion is better than either one of ours. We'll see how that goes. We are going to take a quick break. More to follow here on uh, the Lex Buds at Pick and Roll podcast, and we'll see you in just a minute. Buds and Pick and Roll podcast. Uh, Tyler, that last segment talking about masks was absolutely riveting. I've got to say, absolutely riveting. Didn't see it coming, but thanks for bringing that up. Um, you know, one topic that we have not really talked about in any of the episodes up to this point, and we really didn't realize it till the other day, we haven't really talked about the football season, both last year's and this upcoming season. Well, because it's been, I think, about uh, three years since the last football game was played. At least it feels that way. So, yeah, football has kind of been forgotten about, I feel like. You know, we, we had the end of the basketball season come to such an abrupt end that it made for a lot of interesting discussion. But, yeah, let's let's do it. Let's talk about some football. Well, first of all, just what do you think about last season? If you had to sum up last season in just a couple sentences, what would you say about it? Lynn Bowden is the freaking man. Holy ca- Talk about coming in and saving a season. You have every quarterback on the roster getting – which – can we just be honest? Only Kentucky football. That is a complete Kentucky football thing that every quarterback on the roster gets hurt, and we have to put in a wide receiver at quarterback. But then I guess kind of an un-Kentucky football thing is that it actually worked, and <laughs> probably we're better off having Lynn Bowden line up at quarterback last year. Yeah, I feel like Lynn Bowden played every position last year. I don't know if you remember this old cartoon. There's a Bugs Bunny Dude, cartoon. Dude, I swear I was getting ready to bring up the Bugs yeah, Bunny when, cartoon. when he plays baseball. First base, Bugs Bunny. Second base, Bugs Bunny. Shortstop, Bugs Bunny. I felt like that was Lynn Bowden. It was like quarterback, Lynn Bowden. Wide receiver, Lynn Bowden. Running back, Lynn Bowden. Kick returner, Lynn Bowden. You know, punter. I was waiting for him to take the punter's place at that point. You know, I mean, it was just insane to watch him do it. I don't know if I've ever seen one player carry a team so far Almost on their, I don't want to say on their own because the offensive line opened up some gigantic holes for him to run through. So I think that's a given. But just individual playmaking, speed, making people miss. And not only that, doing that for the whole season without getting injured. You know, that was the biggest thing. When he took over the role, I thought, well, this will last three games. You know, he's going to get hurt. Nobody can take that kind of abuse. He's not that big of a kid, you know, six, maybe six one, hundred and eighty some pounds, like, He's not a big dude, but everything that he lacks in size, he makes up for in heart and toughness. Because I, I don't know if we've ever had a tougher player than Lynn Bowden. Yeah, I mean, he has my respect eternally. I think the he'll go down as one of the most beloved UK players of all time. I mean, the guy really stuck it out for his team. I don't think he ever questioned it. And, you know, even when he was hurt, he didn't want to be on the sidelines. He wanted to be in on the next play. And that gets you really jacked up for the next season. Right, I mean, next season you're getting really excited, and then of course all this virus stuff hits. Are we even going to have a season? You know, that's a real worry right now. Yeah, that's the that's the big question of the day. You know, we talked about UK is planning on being open for business in the fall. You have to think that part of that decision is the revenue that comes from football. You know, whether they'll admit that or not, I think that has to play a factor at least in the discussion as to whether or not. Because if you don't reopen soon 
you can't have a football season. You know, these guys can't, they've been cooped up in their houses for months. They're not getting the workout. You can't just throw them out onto the field and expect them to perform, you know, in 90 degree temperatures with elite athletes on the field. It's just not reasonable. So that if there's going to be a football season, they've got to, they got to get school opened up soon. Well, and one interesting aspect is I think you're going to really see who has self-discipline and self-motivation on the team. Everybody has been secluded to their own homes, they're back with their families, and they could spend it one of two ways. They could be working hard and being ready to either take their spot on the team or, or try to take somebody else on the, depth, uh, on the depth chart, or they could sit around and eat chips and watch TV, right? You have to be very self-motivated to stay in shape to play a college football game in the fall because there's no spring ball. These guys aren't gonna be in classes in the summer. I mean, it's all up to these individual players. So I think we're going to see a lot of the cream rise to the top and a lot of the people that were taking it easy for a couple of months fall by the wayside. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see who comes out on top on some of these depth chart positions. So. Yeah, I think it's going to be much like uh, the situation with Emilio Estevez in Mighty Ducks 2. You know, when they come out for their first game and everybody's winded and out of breath and he says... Haven't you guys been practicing during the off season? And they're like, oh, I knew we forgot something. So yeah, we're we're gonna see uh, you know who has been conditioned and who is not, just just like in Mighty Ducks. It can before we get going anymore? Can you give any more Mighty Ducks references? Because I would love to hear what you got. Hmm. Well, I mean, I I, I could go through the whole roster of, of of Mighty Ducks too. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Mighty Ducks it's, two, not the original. No, I'm in Mighty Ducks too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you have you have Luis Mendoza, the speedster uh, from Miami, who who can't who can't stop, but he's blazing fast. You have Julie the Cat Daphne, the backup goalie, who comes in and gets the game winning save against Iceland in the finals. I mean, I, I, I could talk about my ducks too all day. Brandon. Is that the one with the knuckle puck? The knuckle puck, yep. With which was uh, the the dude that's on SNL now. What's his name? Uh, uh, you know, that guy. That guy. Yeah. I don't know. See, I thought you knew the movies. How I thought this was one of your favorites. You just quoted the whole roster, but you don't know the most. I don't famous. care about their real names. I just know their movie names. Okay, but they're on SNL now. Yeah. Okay, that's fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking of last season, and somebody I was really looking forward to seeing this year was Terry Wilson. You know, Terry, I think he's twelve and three as a starter. The guy is just, you know, a workaholic. You can, you, he puts up different stuff of him training and getting ready for the season. And we're all getting excited. Everybody except for the SEC Network. Did you see the tweet? I, I didn't see the actual tweet. It had already been taken down by the time I saw it. But I have seen, thankfully, people screen grabbed it, of course, when it came out. You know, anything you post on the internet is going to be there forever, whether you delete it or Absolutely. not. Absolutely. Um, but just like, what were they thinking, Brandon? This, I, I feel like it was... You know, so, some frat guy who had had too many drinks and send out an appropriate text and wakes up the next day and like, oh Lord, what have I just done? That's how <laughs> I feel like the SEC network was when somebody actually realized what they had just done and how inappropriate it was. Yeah, and there's no re real good excuse because I heard somebody say, well, you know, it was probably just an intern that tweeted it out. And my first thought is, you're letting an intern control a national, an international Twitter account for the SEC network? First of all, if that is the case, that's still bad, SEC Network. Fix that immediately. If it's not an intern and it's one of your regular staff, still bad on you, SEC Network. It, it doesn't matter. And Coach Stoops likes to play with a chip on his shoulder. And boy, I mean, this is like the perfect recipe to put a chip, not on his, just on his shoulder, but on Terry Wilson's. 
and the entire offensive line that's going to be protecting him this upcoming year. I was actually, I saw it at first. I said, well, you know, that's unfortunate that they would just show clips of him getting beat up in a game. But now I'm really excited because that is going to be fuel to the fire, and these coaches and players, I think, are going to eat it up. Absolutely. I think that's Coach Stoops is at his best when he's got a chip on his shoulder and people don't believe in him or his team. We, we already saw that CBS came out and predicted a 6-6 six and six season for Kentucky next year, which I think they've also predicted the last couple years, and we won 8-10 and 10 games last year. So keep projecting us to win 6 games every year. The team seems to thrive on that and, and take it as motivation as they should. So I, I love it. I love that we're still flying under the radar. I think this is going to be a great team. We've got our whole offensive line, for the most part, coming back. Our defense is going to be stacked. We didn't lose hardly anybody off the defense. So I, th- I think we're going to be a very solid physical team next year, and I, I'm really excited. Do you think there's going to be fans in the stands for the game? Number one, are, are they going to be allowed to? And number two, how busy or how full will the stadium be with people being paranoid about going, even if they're allowed to? I mean, do you think there's going to be people there? Hmm. I mean, personally, I'm not going. If, if there's 50,000, 60,000 people there, I, I'm not going to go. I'm, I'm going to wait and see how everything plays out before I go to any event like that. Just wear your mask, Tyler. You'll be safe. The governor says it. Mm. You know that. Just wear your mask. Well, yeah, but what if other people aren't wearing masks? Well, then I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> then we're all in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Then, then we're, yeah, like you said, we're in trouble. But, uh, I don't know, it's going to be really interesting to see how people react if people show up. I don't feel like you can do something where you try to limit the number of people coming in. I don't feel like that's logistically going to work where we just say we're going to allow 20% capacity or whatever. I feel like you've either got to go all in on letting people in or just say nobody's coming in and we're playing with no fans at all. Yeah, because reality is even if you did 20% capacity or 50% capacity, People are still going to run to the restrooms in a herd in between the quarters. They're all going to go to the same concession stands and stand, you know, I can't wait to see the concession stand lines that are like 30 people deep already and stretch around the stadium. Now we're going to insert six feet in between each of those people. Can't wait to see how how that's going to play out. Yeah, same for the bathroom lines. That's that's going to be massive. That Rupp Arena ice cream line? Oh, Oh, dude. Oh, my goodness. You can forget about getting Rupp Arena ice cream this season. You're going to end up actually out in the parking lot, I think, by the time they put a six-foot barrier in between each person. (laughs) I mean, what what are those lines going to be like? It's going to be insane. So, I don't know. Even if they were allowed to fill up the stadiums, I still don't know how many people are going to show up out of fear of going. It's yeah. going to be, we won't know until it happens. My guess is that UK Athletics is going to send out a lot of tweets, or not a lot of tweets, but a lot of text messages to people saying, hey, discounted prices on tickets. You know, bring your kids. I don't know what they're going to send. They're going to have to incentivize people to come. This is a unique year. Hopefully, by this time in 2021, we won't be having these same conversations. But they're happening this year, and that's going to hurt revenue again. Um, Reality is that the stadium wasn't full most of the time when this virus wasn't going on. That's true. <laughs> so, you know, That's stadiums true. all over the country are getting smaller. They're not reaching capacity. So I don't think this helps much, uh, you know, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I think this might actually incentivize Mitch Barnhart to ramp up those alcohol sales that he's been so against up to this point because they're going to need some money. They're going to need the revenue. Yeah, it, it, it goes back to that whole morality argument. Uh, is it moral to have 60,000 people in a stadium with a virus going on? 
if you allow those people in and you think it is a moral play, then why can't you allow alcohol to be in the stadium? Yeah, I mean, if, if they're going to get sick, they might as well have some beers while they're doing it, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I get it, because that's what you want is a, a bunch of people drinking and, and rolling over on top of each other during what the game. What could go wrong? What, what could go wrong? It's, it's going to happen no matter what. And luckily for us, since they banned alcohol sales, nobody drinks in the stadium. I don't know if you knew that. There's no alcohol that ever gets in. Nobody. Oh, you mean, you mean people don't bring in their own alcohol to games? No, nope, there's no bottles laying around the stadium after huh. the game or anything. Nobody sneaks it in. It's amazing. Interesting. And yeah, that's good to know. We don't get any of that revenue. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, lastly, Brandon, I want to talk a little bit about the NFL draft. We had a couple of our guys get drafted. Lynn Bowden, of course, going to the... Uh, almost said Oakland Raiders. Now they lost Vegas Raiders. That's yes. gonna, that's going to be hard to remember. Uh, and then Logan Sinberg getting drafted by Detroit Lions. What do you think about Bowden going to the Raiders? And the what, Raiders, the Raiders. Sorry. What? How's the NFL team going to do in Vegas? Do you think those guys are just going to be partying all season, or do you think it actually maybe works to their advantage that when other teams come to play in Vegas, their guys are going to be out on the strip before the game and Maybe maybe that actually works to their advantage being in Vegas. That's what I, if I were the Raiders, I would give everybody a coupon to like the the uh, what uh, Caesar's Palace or something, the casino, and say, hey, here's a hundred bucks, go to the casino, yep, knock just, yourself just out, leave it in every visiting player's hotel room when they check in, <laughs> exactly. just laying there on their bed. Exactly, take them to one of the casinos that don't have any windows. They wake up tired. They get up the next day. They've lost all their money. They're hungover and they don't know where they are. That's how you win games. At least for the Raiders. I, I think that's the only way they've won games the last 20 years, probably. Well, yeah, they're, they're, it's definitely not a loaded roster. Lynn Bowden is going to have a very good opportunity to earn a starting position or at least be a, a, a player who gets a lot of playing time this season. So we'll see. they got John Gruden. Whether you're a fan of the Raiders or not, the logo, the silver and black, is just a badass look. So when I look at him getting drafted by the Raiders, I say, you know what, that's a badass looking jersey Lynn Bowden Jr. on the back that's something I would buy as a UK fan you know it looks really really cool it's not like the old Tampa Bay Buccaneers jerseys that had the mix between Tennessee orange color I don't know what the heck that was you know I can't get behind that that's a tough pill for me to swallow but the silver and black I can support Lynn Bowden with that I think there'll be some UK fans that purchase it out of loyalty to him and I wouldn't be surprised if his jersey is one of the most popular uh, in the country, at least they're in the first half of the year next year. Absolutely. Totally see that. I wouldn't mind having one myself. Um, not not Kentucky-related, but just for the state of Kentucky, uh, we had a Lexington resident, Jedrick Wills, who played football at Lafayette, get drafted in the top ten to my Cleveland Browns, Brandon. And this is the year for the Browns, right, Tyler? This, this, is, this is the year. This is the season for the Browns. I know everybody thought it was going to be last year, but the missing piece that they needed was an offensive line. They, they've got, you're, you're laughing. Why are you laughing? <laughs> you, you just you know you say that like, well, the only thing that they were missing. You know how many times I've heard that as a Cleveland? <laughs> you know, I've known you for a long time, Tyler. You're always just that one piece away. Well, well, we are. Now, a little... A, a little <laughs> no, a, 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 why is this any different? Because, I'm, I'm, if you'll let me finish, I will tell you why it's going to be different. I can't wait. <laughs> See, Jedrick Wills was also one of my former students. When I was teaching middle school social studies back at LTMS, I had Jedrick in my class when he was in seventh grade. And I, I truly believe that it was my lessons to him on ancient Egypt 
on how they were able to move big blocks around to build a pyramid that inspired him to want to move around defensive linemen you know, the way that he does. You know why you remember ancient Egypt is because that's the last time the Browns were any good. Oh, okay, that that hurts. Yeah, oh. <laughs> I mean, oh, we're only one. We're only one away. We just need one more player. It's just an offensive line player. But you forget that the ownership there is terrible, and they're going to end up, uh, you know, trading them away and getting some kind of future draft pick. And then when that draft pick gets picked, you'll say, "Wow, that was the one thing we needed." Then they'll come in, play for two or three years. They'll get traded. It's just, it's a mess. They're not. They're not. It's not going to happen, Tyler. They're not one piece away. They're one franchise away. They need to start over. Now you've just disappointed me. I don't even want to talk anymore. Well, what? Okay. Back it up with data here, Tyler. <laughs> We're in the age of COVID. We're all using scientific data information to make decisions. What scientifically driven data do you have that says that the Browns are going to do jack this year? Look, if there's anything I know right now is that Baker Mayfield, there's no way he's just sitting around chugging beers right now. Is The work ethic of Baker Second to none. I mean, you know he's going to be fully prepared after this thing ends to come out ready to go. Okay. And that's all you got? You don't think the other team's players have players that are getting ready for the next year? Uh, no. As I far as I know, Baker Mayfield played last year, and they still didn't make the playoffs. Well, that's because he didn't have Jedrick Wills uh, to block for him. Because he, he didn't have time for the receivers to run their routes. He was getting sacked before he could get a pass out. Now, everything just, just comes together. Wow. And that is your uh, 2020 Cleveland Browns preview. <laughs> Jeez Louise. I cannot wait for the postseason <laughs> so, I can, so I can bring this back up again. Uh, can we mark the calendar on this? We've got to mark it. the day. Okay, we'll mark the day. Cleveland Browns will be in the playoffs this year. Write it down. Well, are we going to bet anything on this? I think we should. I, I do too because I'd like to win something. I know I'm going to win. What do you want to bet? I don't care. I, I, what you you name the terms? Browns are going to the playoffs this year. God, you know, it's almost akin to stealing from you, Tyler. I, I don't want to. I don't want to take stuff from you because I know it's not going to happen. We'll figure that out. If you got a, a good idea on what we should uh, wager on this Cleveland Browns uh, postseason run that Tyler thinks is miraculously going to happen, make sure you tweet us at Lex Buds. Um, I cannot wait to see how this plays out, Tyler. It's not going to happen. But anyway, we're going to wrap this segment up. We have our interview with Aminu Timberlake. Uh, we're looking forward to that, and we'll see you here in just a minute. Stay tuned. Very excited here on the Lex Buds and Pick and Roll podcast to have um, a former Kentucky Wildcat that uh, was involved in the greatest game ever played, at least that's what they say, Mr. Aminu Timberlake. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. It sounds like you're pretty relaxed. How have you been dealing with the quarantine so far? Uh, so far, so good. I do have, uh, you know, my family's with me, um, wife three daughters, uh, one that is a freshman in college, uh, another two, ninth grader and eighth grader. But uh, so far, so good. We've, we've been taking care of some projects. We've been doing puzzles. We've been doing some work and, you know, this and that, just to just keep busy and make sure we stay sane and we don't strangle each other. 
Well, you're you're way further ahead than uh, my family, so uh, very good job on that with not trying to strangle each other. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's been a little while since uh, maybe UK fans have heard from you directly. Can you catch us up a little bit on what's going on before the puzzles and everything started? What were you up to before that, and what are you doing now? Yeah. So um, you know, I, I was in technology sales, but I had. Uh, an opportunity to do some coaching, take a break and do some coaching. Um, so I was assistant coach for uh, high school women's uh, girls team at the high school my daughter goes to, um, my daughter graduated from, but then I had two that's already there, Greater Atlanta Christian. Um, and so I did, I actually, yeah, did that. Uh, and it was a great journey, <laughs> all of which the week before they started canceling all sporting events, we won the state title. Um, so that was, again, great journey that I remember for a lifetime, and I was proud to be a part of it. Well, yeah, con- congratulations on that. That's that's a wonderful accomplishment. Yeah, yeah that's that's wonderful. Uh, so I want, want to jump right in to uh, t- talk about a little bit about your time at Kentucky. Uh, but before you got there, uh, Kentucky was in its third year under a new coach, Rick Pitino, who mm-hmm. at, at the time nobody knew the, the coaching legend that he would become. Can you tell us what it was like being recruited by Rick Pitino? I assume he maybe came and did some in-home visits with you. What, can you just kind of take us behind the scenes? What, what is it like to be recruited by Rick Pitino? And what made you ultimately decide to go to UK? Mm-hmm. Well, one, I grew up in Chicago, played basketball um, for a, in high school called De La Salle Institute, which is local, it's a inner city um, uh, Christian brother school, all boys. Uh, I would say, <laughs> even but before, right before I, I actually attended there, they kept saying I'm Powell was going to go co-ed. That never happened. However, now it is. But uh, so uh, I did grow up in Chicago. I was very fortunate. I was a part of a program that was always mm-hmm, top ten in the state. Uh, very competitive. Had a few guys ahead of me that definitely went Division One, University of Illinois, Marquette. Um, and others like that, Naval Academy and so forth. So, um, you know, to be recruited at that age, uh, again, was just remarkable. I was just a tall, skinny kid, just wanting to play. Had a, you know, started late playing basketball, starting in eighth grade, actually transferred schools uh, to, you know, in eighth grade to actually be able to play because my previous school didn't have a basketball team. Um, but from there, I just kind of flourished. Enjoyed the game, was around some good coaches, good key teammates, uh, continued to grow me and just uh, had, you know, nurtured that passion for the game. Um, but did not, you know, had some idea, hey, I'm developing at a seemingly rapid pace, I'm having some success. And then some notoriety came, and then all of a sudden, I'm seeing my name in the paper a lot. I'm seeing some really good pictures of myself, <laughs> which I always enjoy. <laughs> but then, uh, you know, then came a lot of the letters and so forth. And the great thing about my coaching staff at the time, they would hold on to those letters until the end of your sophomore year. Um, so I received some few big boxes of letters, and that was, you know, great. Um, but I sooner or later had my opportunity to pick where I wanted to, you know, go or be who I was going to be recruited by. Um, one of which was DePaul. Another was Indiana. Um, another was Georgetown, Michigan, and then Kentucky. Um, so, 
you know, they would actually come to the games then, and it was just always um, exciting. Obviously, at a young age, you don't know, uh, you know, how much of an event it really is to have these major Division One coaches come to your games and everything. But uh, but it was it, so it wasn't necessarily business as usual, but it was one of those things where, yeah, this is what I'm playing for. This is where I'm headed, you know, and so this is the way it is supposed to be. Um, as far as I think some of the memorable things was I remember, well, I remember the home visits definitely. Uh, I remember having Bobby Knight in my house, which my uh, my grandmother actually confronted, <laughs> which I think is a, is a great story. So she um, she she didn't really watch a lot of sports, but randomly she was watching TV and she saw uh, Indiana game and. The time when he actually threw the chair across the floor <laughs> and said, "It <laughs> said, uh, Mr. Knight, I, I just I won't let you know. I was watching TV, saw you throw it, throw that chair. I don't know about your temper, and I don't trust my grandson going to your school." <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are the odds? That was the yeah. one game she saw, and that's hilarious. I know. What are the odds? All I know is just a long, awkward pause. He didn't say anything. Um, the assistant coach jumped in and said how much he matured since then. And that was just a one-time incident so on and so forth. Uh, I do remember having John Thompson there. He's, I guess he was about 6'10". I just remember him ducking in the house. Um, that was awesome. But when it came to, you know, worked with Coach Patino, Coach Pete, uh, I remember them driving up, and it was two or three, like, um, black Lincoln Town cars. <laughs> so... <laughs> I don't know if he was feeding into, um, you know, that New Yorker, you know, sort of uh, persona and so forth, uh, but it definitely fit the bill. So you see him driving up, they park these cars, again, black Lincoln Town cars, attendant windows. Um, they come up, they don't, they don't promise the world at all, but they just show the program where it's headed and so forth. But really what caught me was uh, the visit and actually going to Midnight Madness, which I had never seen uh, something like that before. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a fantastic experience for a young person like myself uh, at that time. Now, again, it's a different time. What is that, close to um, you know, 30 years ago? Uh, today, obviously, a lot of people do it. Uh, nobody still does it like you know, the University of Kentucky, which I was there two years ago, we went. Um, and you know we went there, but nobody doesn't like them. But back then, that was still sort of rare, and they they were really the catalyst for a lot of people doing it today and, and being on TV. Um, but, but I do remember, you know, after that visit in the airport, uh, my mom picked me up. She saw my face. She said, "You want to go there, don't you?" And I said, "Absolutely." <laughs> and she said, "Just just wait a day. You know, just think about it." before you say something, you know, let everything settle. And so that's exactly what I did. I think it was a couple of days and then I actually committed. So that was, uh, yeah, in short, uh, a very memorable journey for um, you know, a young city kid like myself. Yeah, now one interesting thing, and I wanted to ask about this, if you look back in history, you know, Bernadette Locke Maddox was part of that coaching staff as well. And really, mm -hmm. for, for that time to have a female assistant coach, that, that's a unique spot, especially considering the, the time when you played. And we're here almost 30 years later, and it's still a unique situation to see that. 
with such a successful team like UK, why don't you think we've seen more female assistant coaches on basketball staffs? Uh, do you think there's anything behind that? or And what were your thoughts about having a female assistant coach at the time? Yeah, um, I don't know. I grew a lot of uh, respect for uh, Coach Locke, uh, especially over time. Shoot, I, I remember just a couple of years ago, I – you know, I did, you know, write her and, and uh, email her, and we went back and forth a couple times, but it was just, you know, she was definitely a pioneer, right? And I think it was something also that you didn't know, in my opinion, didn't know what you had, right, until it was kind of gone, but she she was remarkable. As far as the things that's going on, why you don't see it today, it's tough. I mean, you, you're seeing some women break through the NBA ranks in coaching, um, you know, quite frankly, I'm a part of a, you know, gender inclusion team for my church, but there are just a, a, a machine there that's decades, you know, decades and generations long that, uh, you know, it's been male dominated. And so to break some of that down, it takes time. Um, and then, you know, some people say, on the other hand, maybe some women don't want to really be a part of, you know, that and they have their own thing, but you know, ultimately, my thought is it's a big machine. It's going to take a lot of chipping away, uh, sometimes some dynamite to blow it up, you know, and to really get the best of the best, and that's including women. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we want to move ahead a little bit. Obviously, there's a lot of history with that 92 team. It's, it's one of the most beloved UK teams of all time. And we want to get specifically, you know, we, we've, we're going through the tournament here. Uh, everything's going well in the 92 tournament. You defeated Old Minion, Iowa State, uh, and UMass to set up the Elite Eight game with Duke. Um, what was the buzz like going into that game? And had you heard about Christian Leitner being kind of a dirty player? And what were you thinking knowing that you may have to go up against him? Um, well, you got to think about so one, I was a freshman leading up to that uh, the, that particular game, and so as a freshman, I it's not like today, right? Where and, and I wasn't as you know didn't have as much notoriety as a lot of those guys, especially come in today, uh, where it's saying, hey, they have great potential, right? Uh, if not, the story's are the chapter's already written, one and done, right? But for me. Um, you know, like R.J. Reddick, Chris Harrison, you know, it was one of those things where we wanted to fight as hard as we can to get as, you know, as much time as we could <laughs> and really just figure out how to contribute, right, to this, uh, to the game we enjoy. And so um, did I hear about the dirty play and everything? Not really. I think beforehand it was really focused on the task at hand, right? So each game had its particular you know, zeroed in focus and our game plan and how to come out, you know, to the uh, goal of going to the next round. Okay, and then take us to the, the infamous play that uh, has, you've probably seen replayed as we have hundreds of times over the years, uh, the, the, the stomp. What is going through your head when it happened? How hard was it to restrain yourself from just going after him? Uh, my co-host Brandon here actually got thrown out of a game when we we played high school basketball, and he got thrown out of a game because somebody gave him a cheap shot one time. That's true, <laughs> and and I retaliated yeah. in an unprofessional way, uh, and you managed to stay <laughs> restrained. So right, right. 
How did you do that? Well, <laughs> well, I would say this. One thing is I've never watched like, that whole game. Uh, well, one, I've never watched the whole game uh, ever, you know, uh, since I was just a part of it live. So I've never watched it on video. Uh, I've watched it one time. And I cut it off when Sean Woods made that shot. <laughs> Which, yeah, that, that's so, where the game should have yeah. ended, as far as we're all concerned. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And that actually happened this year. Uh, when I, That was the first time I've ever watched it. Uh, as far as, you know, those clips and everything, I've seen it. So what's going on through my head? Obviously, it's far, hard fought battle. I was just, you know, seeing what I could do to contribute, definitely defensively. Right, um, and really try to impact the game for whatever minutes I was there. As far as that particular incident, I just remember trying to catch a charge uh, and sell the charge, right, and, and, and falling down. And then I'm on the ground, and then, uh, you know, then he actually steps back. Now, the thing about the restraint was, one, it was not uh, a hard foul. I mean, it looked far worse, far worse than what it actually was. Um, it was, you know, again, and sometimes you say, hey, back then I had an eight-pack, you know, most people saw <laughs> <laughs> stomach go, and so I didn't feel it at all, but that's the, the, the truth of the matter was, it, it, he, you know, it, 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 I think he was trained himself as far as not, it's not, it wasn't something that was hurtful, it was something that he was trying to make sure he was noticed, right, and, and that he was, you know, trying to I don't know, wield his, his mental game over me, but a lot of that restraint was simply because it, it, I didn't feel it. I mean, it wasn't, I could see it, but it, it wasn't something that I get up and it was, it, it hurt me or anything. Um, but on the other hand, I saw it happen, looked at the ref, we saw it, he called a tech, and I thought to myself, yes, I got in his head and got a tech, you know, here we go. I contributed in a way where he was so frustrated that he acted, you know, differently from what he would usually try to do. And to follow up on that, too, you know, you were talking about the stomp not being really a forceful thing, but almost an, an act to prove some sort of dominance or something. It reminded me right. of WWF wrestling where they go up and they pretend to stomp <laughs> to make it look like they're really yeah. giving it their all, but in reality, it doesn't really hit you that hard. Is that a pretty right, fair right. comparison? That that is, but you know, when you slow that stuff down, it looks all dramatic. You know, oh, look, you can see every ripple kind of move in his shirt or whatever. Plus, you if you look at it, it was it was more my stomach versus oh, he stumped him in the chest. So it was something that added to the drama of the actual game. But I don't know if it really had any significance besides just adding to the drama to the game. That's really interesting because, like I said, it, it looks much worse on TV. So that that's really interesting yeah. to hear. Um, so yeah. as you just mentioned, Sean Woods hits the shot. We all go crazy. We're we're all thinking the game is over. Uh, can can you tell us about the immediate reaction after that shot goes in, and then kind of what is discussed in the timeout? We know the infamous decision not to guard the inbounds pass. Was there discussion of whether to do that or not? What what do you remember about right after Woods' shot went in? What do you remember about that and the timeout that followed? Yeah, so from from what I remember, um, if there was a back and forth about what they should do, um, on the ball or off the ball. But um, but sooner or later landed on, hey, let's just surround Leighton because we pretty much know that's where it's going to go, uh, make them make a difficult pass, and, he, you know, he shouldn't be able to catch it, let alone get a good shot off. 
but uh, but I do, if I can recall, there was a you know back and forth to talk about kind of what what should happen, which uh, you know Coach P was confident in making that call. I know he said um, he'd never do that again. <laughs> people people always put somebody on the inbound. Uh, so that's that, but uh, lesson learned for everybody. Yeah, I think that changed uh, a lot of decisions going forward for the, the last 30 years <laughs> yeah. in college basketball. I, yeah. I've never seen anybody off the ball since then. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I remember watching that game, um, you know, when Sean Woods hit the shot, and I run into the living room, my dad's sitting there, and I said, we won, we won. And, and my dad says, no, son, there's still 2.1 seconds left. It's never over. I was like, oh, it's over. It's over. And then, then of course, yeah, yeah. you know, the shot goes in. What was it like when you saw the ball go in? And when Leitner got it and started to shoot, did you have any kind of sinking feeling like, oh, my goodness, he caught it? This is not going to be good. Um, I, I did not. I mean, one of those things is, you you know, again, I was just a kid. I was just a freshman. uh and, and some of it was, yes, I was a major Division one athlete. However, sometimes I just had the nostalgia, I'm happy to be there, you know, and be in the mess, be with my band of brothers, you know, be a part of this whole Kentucky tradition. Um, as far as seeing him and his shot, uh, it's nothing in my gut say, oh, yeah, he hit that. No, it was like, what in the world just happened? You know, it was like, we, like you said, this game should have been over. Uh, and we should be going to Final Four, but uh, but yeah, it was a it was a sinking feeling, you know. I just remember putting my hands on my head, like what in the world, you know? They went from in the air and celebration to on my head and disbelief, right? And one of the things that I uh, did notice when they started playing that game again was uh, kids that had not, you know, that were weren't even born yet right or people that hadn't seen the game weren't aware of it watching it as if it was brand new it, watching it as if it was live and then i saw these two little kids of parents that were kentucky fans and obviously they were kentucky fans now but they watched it because they didn't know the end it and they said what just happened wait did we win did we not win you know they said the clock ran out you know they were you know <laughs> they were going back and forth so I, I think I had some of that. We were just looking, didn't the clock run out? All these other things going through your head. And again, all of which is in disbelief that that just happened. Uh, yeah, so enough about that game. That, it, man, as much as we look forward to talking about that with you, it brings up so many bad memories. Yes. Uh, <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, so, so let's uh, move ahead. The next season, team makes another great run. You make it to the Final Four in 93, lose to Michigan. Uh, an, another tough loss, I'm sure, to, to have gone through. Uh, you you kind of had a lot of guys ahead of you on that team that also were going to be coming back the next season. There was Roderick Rhodes, Dent, Martinez, Prickett, Riddick, all those guys. Um, yeah. So I, I know that probably had to factor into your decision when you're looking at a loaded roster coming back for next season. It, you know, it's it's hard for anybody not to get the minutes they that that they want on a team. What what led to your decision to transfer after that season? Well, um, it was a couple of things, but as I look back a little bit more maturely now, it's really the fact that I, I grew in size. I got my weight up a little bit, you know, muscles and everything. Uh, however, I was just, I was a tweener, honestly. 
uh, when Rodney Dent came in, you know, he was tall. He was a true center. Um, you had a couple other people, you know, even Martinez, you know, he's kind of, he, Jamel, you know, great, great brother. Um, it, it, he shot the three, but these guys had something, um, you know, over me where my time was lost, <laughs> quite frankly. And, um, and so that uh, was some of it. It just was that as things you look in a few, you know, look ahead in a couple of years, it was, would I be able to fight for this? Uh, I'm already kind of, a, a, you know, hands behind my back in a sense, because again, not a true center, wasn't shooting threes, <laughs> or hadn't developed that in my game as of yet. And, um, and it just made sense for me to move on. Now, fast forwarding a little bit further, so we, we moved into the transfer part. Let's skip all the way ahead to 2015. There was uh, a 30 for 30 that came out um, on the game itself on, on uh, ESPN where mm-hmm. Christian Leitner apologized to you. How do you feel about him so many years later, and do you accept his apology? Well, uh, yeah, I accepted his apology. I told him at the time, you know, what? Uh, although um, we will be always tied because of that game, because of that incident, always tied together, it was something that at my time I was, I have been, I, I have, I was married, I had three daughters, I moved a good, a good career, I, I kind of moved on, I realized if I was, and I was strongly my, my belief in, in, uh, in my church, so I realized me holding on to that type of stuff um, is not healthy. <laughs> and so I kind of let it go. It's, it's still hugging around in the back, but I let it go. Um, at the end of the day, accepted his apology. It is what it is. You know, I made a video too. Uh, I've never had a chance to meet him in person since that incident. The whole thing. There's, uh, there's no real love lost, you know. Somebody got me a present. I, I still hate Leitner T-shirt, <laughs> which I would <laughs> wear proudly. Well, now, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. So you said you haven't uh, come face to face with him. If I just roll right. a ba- if I roll a basketball out into the UK practice facility and you and Christian Leitner are the only two people in there and you're playing one on one, who's winning? Oh, definitely me. That's no <laughs> doubt. That is no doubt. So. <laughs> So I still I still get obviously now I just kind of cut my my get my uh, weekly runs out but I still take pride and and play and enjoy the game of basketball and have a you know true competitive nature where I want people when I leave the court it's a little ego driven but competitive as when I leave the court they know that I'm either the best on the court or they they ask me questions because I I knew I stood out so. Uh, you know, I developed a lot of parts of my game, enjoy the game, but it's no doubt uh, people I come in front of, especially if it was going to be him, he'd be ending up with an L. <laughs> I love it. Well, I tell you what, we are in the process of uh, trying to get that set up, so we'll try to get that game set up for you. Just hang tight, and we'll be in touch with you. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. Just let me know. I'll be there when and where. <laughs> All right, uh, I mean, it's one more question, and we'll we'll let you go. Uh, you you mentioned uh, you you had three daughters. Uh, I I have two daughters myself, a four year old and a one year old. So, uh, oh. what can, can you guys give me some dad advice? What do I have to look forward to with two young girls growing up? 
And do, do your daughters play sports? Did you try to encourage them, or did you try to let them make their own decision with regards to that? Right. Yeah, so my, me and my wife, we make sure be 25 years. Uh, but she, um, between the both of us, we're big proponents of team sports, right, or just sports. Because we realize kids with um, too much time on their hands uh, usually doesn't end up well, right? So, and then and being involved in those sporting environments allows them to develop a lot of different characters, right? Whether it's, um, you know, just hard work or just discipline or just being in how to handle sort of stressful situations or just being competitive and then also teamwork. But there's all these things that I believe, uh, and there's stats out there, just give them, especially girls, a true event. Uh, it's people a true event, men and women. But I just was looking at stats, and it was just incredible of what um, it does for uh, girls or women in sports. And so, yeah, and so I would always encourage them. We tried different things where they landed. My oldest one, she ended up, she started out as soccer, but ended up playing basketball. Got a D1 scholarship at uh, USC Upstate. And so she was in the Big South, so she played there. Um, had a decent year. And my two, um, my youngest two, they actually play competitive soccer, so travel soccer. And so that's always been a part of them, and they just enjoy that. But, uh, but that's sooner or later where they landed. We did some gymnastics. We did, you know, a little basketball. They just, but they just sooner or later gravitated into those sports and really work hard to, to be their best at it and enjoy it. Well, that's awesome. Uh, Aminu, thanks so much for um, taking the time out today. As far as Kentucky fans are concerned, you are the most famous Timberlake that there is in the state of Kentucky. <laughs> You know, to heck to heck with the other Timberlakes. We don't we they don't exist. Yeah. It's a Minu Timberlake. Um, but we really appreciate you. Um, we'll go ahead and put a call into Christian Leitner and let him know to get ready for the one on one game. I think uh, the fans will be excited about that. <laughs> and uh, we look yeah. forward to staying in touch with you. Thanks for uh, so much for spending your time with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's been a pleasure. Um, I just want to wish everyone well, especially Big Blue Nation, uh, especially at much of these times of being quarantined. You know, just want to encourage people, find a good routine, connect with your loved ones, right? Also, I try to exercise a little bit and, um, and don't make too many trips to the fridge. But uh, I appreciate it again, guys. And um, anytime, you know, <laughs> you want me on as a guest again, I am more than willing and able. Awesome. Thanks so much, Minu. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Take Bye. care. Holy moly. You know what? Uh, the Billy Gillespie interview we did a couple of weeks ago was fantastic. And I tell you what, this uh, Aminu Timberlake interview provided some very juicy nuggets, Tyler. I think it would be safe to say. Uh, and some really interesting insight from a guy that we hadn't heard from in a long time. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, I don't. I had no idea what Aminu Timberlake had been up to for, what, almost 30 years since this game? And oh my goodness, yes. 30 years. That's scary. It's hard to believe. Um, but yeah, there there were three or four things from that interview he said that I think were really very interesting. Should should we just go through and talk about well, those? Well, I want to know if they're the same ones that I'm thinking of. I, what are you thinking first? But uh, I guess personally, the the debate in the huddle I found really interesting. Oh, good. You know, because you you always wonder, you know, what coaches are saying during timeouts. 
you know, is, is it kind of a my way or the highway? Are they listening to the assistant coaches? Or are they receiving input from the players? And Aminu just came out and said there was debate back and forth on whether to guard the inbounds pass or not. Yeah, um, this hurts me to even talk about. You know, I, I just still re- relive my childhood through this game. And the fact that it sounds like we had a 50-50 shot of putting somebody on the ball and it landed on the wrong side, it hurts. <laughs> I don't know if that it makes it worse or better. I'm glad they had the debate, but now I'm just thinking, wow, you know, a coin flipped the other way and, you know, we have a totally different outcome in the game, I think. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it would have been really interesting to know, you know, who was for guarding and who was against guarding. You no. Know, was Patino wanting to guard the inbounds pass, and one of the assistant coaches talked him out of it? Was it vice versa? You know, the, I really like to know who ended up winning. Well, obviously, we know Patino made the final call, but you know, maybe he was persuaded by one of the coaches to not guard the inbounds pass. But like I said, uh, that the, the Sean Woods shot is my earliest memory of Kentucky basketball. I was actually at your house during yes, that game. If, absolutely, if you're yeah. Um, I mean, I was kind of aware of Kentucky basketball at, at that age. I mean, I was maybe eight, nine years old. Yep. But that is, that's the play that I first vividly remember. Because I just remember us going crazy. Like you said in the interview, we were running through the house. And your dad says, boys, it's not over yet. There's still two <laughs> seconds left. Oh, like, no, dad, it's over. You're full of baloney, You don't dad. know anything. We're old, nine man. years old. We know everything. <laughs> exactly. You be quiet. And lo and behold, what, what happens it was devastating. It was, yeah, and it's it's very interesting for him to to talk about uh, the the debate, and then like he said, that has forever changed the philosophy in those situations in college basketball. Everybody guards the inbounds pass now. Yeah, there's there's just so much with that. We could sit here and analyze it till the cows come home. Fact is, they wanted to surround Leitner. They weren't surrounding Leitner. Not only, yeah, not only did they not, they're both behind him. They're both both behind him, (laughs) and they don't guard the inbounds pass. It's like the perfect storm of something you don't want to happen there at the end of the game. But either way, it led to a devastating outcome. I don't know that Aminu Timberlake would have actually came out and said who said to guard the inbounds and not. I didn't necessarily want to put him in that spot because then he, you know, if he says Coach A did this, Coach B did this, (laughs) then Coach Patino said this. You know, then that's gonna you know open up a whole other can of worms. So, but it is a good question. You wonder who said what in that huddle. Absolutely. And then another interesting thing when we talked about the actual stomp itself, I mean that's that's revisited every year during March Madness. You know, we we see this this of course the buzzer beater, but for Kentucky fans, that's almost as hurtful a play as the as the shot. For him to say that it looked a lot worse on TV. I found that to be very interesting because it, it, he's right. It does look bad. And he, he has an eight-pack and didn't feel it. That so, was a little humble brag. Yeah, very, very you know, humble brag. I wasn't hurting because of my eight-pack and my chiseled <laughs> sculpture, but, you know, I, I survived it. But it confirmed something that I had thought for a long time, and that was that that stomp, if Leitner really wanted to hurt him, he could have because he was directly over top of him. It looked like a WWF stomp. It looked like somebody taking a bump in the ring, and he gave him, I won't say a love tap, but a little light stomp, but nothing serious, which I don't even know why you do that. I guess he's probably thinking, I I can either get away with it, number one, or we're going to win the game, so it really doesn't matter. I'll stomp on him. He's already down there, and he's just, you know, he's in my way. 
t away with you, Mr. Timberlake. That's the only thing I can think of, you know, when you're trying to figure out what his mindset would have been. Yeah, either way, just confirms everything we thought about Christian Leitner, just a complete, total jerk. Uh, I, actually, <laughs> actually, if we could... I don't know that... Do we have? Did he say that, actually? Uh, he didn't, but I said it. Okay. Uh, I, I thought we could have a little story time, if we could, real quickly. Some story time with Uncle Tyler Brandon. Oh, wow. I uh, went, went to read you a little excerpt I thought you might enjoy, and the listeners might enjoy, about Sir Leitner. Uh, during his time with the Dream Team in 92, just to kind of show you what a big jerk he was. I'm excited to hear this. All okay, right, so this, this is from Jack McCollum's Dream Team book uh, about the 92 Olympic team. So I'm just going to read This is real quick, just a couple paragraphs. Uh, this was at the team's first practice. So all the media, of course, is there. The, dream, the 92 original the Dream Team's first practice. First practice. Okay. So there's a big media shebang going on. So it says, Christian Leitner had already made an impact, not in a positive way. Brian McIntyre, the NBA's head of public relations and a man universally respected around the league, was arranging a live TV hookup when he spotted Leitner, who was wearing shorts and a USA Basketball t-shirt in the lobby. Just so you know, Christian, McIntyre said to him, all the other players are wearing suits, sports coats, and ties. And Leitner responded with, I don't give a blank. I'll let you fill in. You can you can do your own mad libs at home as to what that word was that he said he doesn't give a. But, but. so basically, you know, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Carl Malone, David Robinson, Larry Bird, Clyde Magic. Drexler, they they all have to wear suits. But you know, I'm good in shorts and a t-shirt. Exactly, Christian Light, the the one player who didn't belong on the team, succeeded to be the biggest jerk on the team. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not surprising. Uh, you know, we'll leave it at that. I mean, yeah. it's not surprising. We no. thought that during the game, and they just confirmed it afterwards on the Dream Team. So Exactly. But anyway, I just thought that was a little interesting tidbit. I thought I would share. Maybe this is a, a segment we can do going forward where we have story time. I really like it. I'm <laughs> glad you edited it out in case parents were playing the story time for their young children. I was worried there for a second. So that's yeah, good. It's a family show. Good. Uh, so, so a couple other interesting tidbits. When he talked about being recruited... He had John Thompson come to his home. He obviously had Rick Pitino. But interesting story involving Bobby Knight. What did you think about that story? I was getting ready to ask him. Before he brought up the story about his grandmother, I wanted to interrupt and say, Aminu, did he just come in and yell at you for an hour <laughs> and just scream and throw your sofa across the room? But it sounds like his grandmother laid the smack down pretty quick. Absolutely. And just put a halt to it and said, Hey, uh, Bobby, what's the problem, man? What's going on? You don't mess with uh, with with players' grandmothers. That's a rule of thumb. If you've lost the grandmother, you have lost the player. That's a hundred percent. Yeah. And so it's interesting. Had the grandmother not watched that particular game where Bobby Knight threw the chair, maybe Aminu ends up a Hoosier. Or or if Bobby Knight just hadn't thrown the chair. Or true. Yeah. True. I mean, we could keep taking it back. <laughs> He's the one that threw the chair. And you know what? When you throw your chair on national TV, bad things happen. You know, it's like I tell my kids, hey, when you do bad things, bad stuff happens. When you throw chairs on live TV, eh, you're probably going to get some negativity there. And grandmothers apparently around the world are watching. Yeah, there are consequences to your actions, believe it or not. Um, and then finally, my, my last takeaway from that interview. Great question that you asked, Brandon. What would happen in a one-on-one -on -one game between Aminu and Christian Leitner and... 
I mean, he sounded very confident that he would not have any trouble with Leitner in a one-on-one game. Yeah, here's what I picture is that since 1992, this is the way I picture it, Aminu okay. Timberlake has been intensely practicing for this, like Rocky. Like he's got big <laughs> slabs of beef hanging up and he's punching them and he's climbing up the steps and he's got the Rocky music. He's waited 30 years for this rematch with Christian Leitner. This has got to happen somewhere, right? So Somebody's going to put this together if we can. I mean, we'll do it. But it sounds like it's something that not only he's confident he would win, it sounds like something he would actually do. You know, if somebody called and said, hey, will you do this for a charitable event? Or will you just come do this during halftime of a game? You know, or whatever it may be. You talk about getting some footage on SportsCenter and everywhere else, everybody be watching that. And especially right now, everybody's itching for something to watch. So, I mean, anything's entertaining. But... When that does happen, I think it'll be huge. Oh, absolutely. I, I was kind of hoping maybe we could have it happen at Big Blue Madness. We could bring Christian back, invite him to Big Blue Madness, have a one-on-one game, him and Aminu. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I There's so much there. I, You know, if you said that Christian Leitner and Aminu Timberlake would be coming, the only thing is it would steal the show from all the new players that are coming in. You know, everybody wants to watch the dances when the new players come in and all this stuff. No, no, they don't. If Aminu Timberlake and Christian Leitner are playing one-on-one, everybody is waiting on pins and needles for that game. And then they can discuss the team later. You know, they want to watch that one-on-one game. Yeah, absolutely. I think, man, we're, we're, we are on to something, sir. I mean, last last week we got Billy Gillespie to bring up a four-team tournament with High Point and Tarleton State and Iona. Now, after this interview... We've, we, I think we've got a one-on-one game between Aminu and Christian in the works. We're making things happen on this show, Brandon. We make things happen. And make sure that you stay tuned for future episodes and continue to download the podcast. We have been overwhelmed with the response up to this point. You guys are crazy, like Coach Calipari says. You guys are crazy. Well, now I know what he's talking about because, you know, the Billy Gillespie and that four-team round-robin tournament just blew up. You know, everybody was talking about it. it you know, you go to your Twitter feed, you go to the news outlets – they're all running it. So all we're trying to do is create conversations. And I think it's a good one to have. And there's no doubt that this one is going to create even more. I mean, it's it's an exciting time for sure. Um, well, we want to thank you so much for listening to this episode. As always, visit us at LexBuds.com. Follow us on Twitter at LexBuds. And make sure you keep an eye out for uh, the tidbits from this interview and articles that we put up. We're always trying to provide unique and interesting content for you. And we'll see you on the next episode. Stay classy, Kentucky. Kentucky.